0: says, get that India, big boy. Call
1: an ambulance! Maybe call a priest! Oh, what a shot!
2: What a shot! Campbell killer!
0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's not the ideal circumstances to be doing a post-match coverage of uh, the, the result tonight, but that's what we're here to do. My name's Craig, I ride his 60s on the Cumberland Throw. Joining me is Johnny's 4020, and we have a special guest tonight. He's one of the few Parramatta Eels that can say that he's a Premiership winner. He played 149 first grade games, 123 of those for the Parramatta Eels. He played in three grand finals Scoring a try in the 1981 winning grand final team. Ladies and gentlemen, how about a big welcome for Graham Atkins? (laughs) Graham,
2: you were noted as a winger and occasional fullback in first grade, but did you come through as a 5'8?
1: Yeah, I came, um, I was with Toon Gabby as a 5'8, and um, I played all my rep football as halfback.
2: I was close, not quite on the mark, so one one spot in.
1: Yeah, (laughs) it is.
2: And how was the transition from going as a playmaker in the front line to being the finisher on the edges?
1: Uh, Well, it probably was a bit tough to um, dislodge people like John Colt and John Peard. And I probably could have done Brett and Steve uh, and Sterlo. I could have beaten them, but anyhow, it's the way it goes.
0: (laughs) Now, uh, Graham, you've... uh, You've let us know that you came through the Toongabi Tigers as your junior club, and we were talking before, and you said one of your teammates was Neville Glover. Now, Neville's been a guest of ours many, many times. He demonstrated some of his dance moves. You can vouch for Neville's ability on the dance floor, I would imagine.
1: Yeah, he actually, um, he had trial for Strictly Ballroom, but I think he missed out. And so what happens now whenever we go out, Neville, we always seem to find Neville up on a dance floor.
0: Well, he did demonstrate his dance moves for us here uh, one night when he was our guest. He can move. He can actually move. So uh, we've got to give him credit for that. But he is a top bloke. And, uh, and I think that's something that we've come to learn about all of the guests that we've had, uh, former Parramatta players that... Uh, like yourself, couldn't we couldn't ask for more from you in terms of your um, availability for us for these podcasts. So thank you as well, Graham, for being here tonight.
1: Yeah, no problem at all.
2: So you made your first great debut back in 1975. But what year were you actually graded?
1: Um, I got graded in '75 uh, with with Neville, and I think. Um, my third game, I ended up on fir- in first grade, so I was pretty fortunate.
0: Well, that was that was really a rapid elevation. Um, but what did it mean to you when you date when you debuted for first grade for the Eels? Because it was a big match, wasn't it? It was. Um, you did you debut in a um, a playoff for the
1: finals? Yeah, that's right. Um, we had the um, the playoffs and all that, and. It was a wonderful experience, but once again you had, you know, the legends like Bob O'Reilly, you had all those people around you. And so it was pretty easy for me, being 18 years old, and these were my heroes. And what about that feeling of pulling
0: on a Parramatta jersey for the first time? What did that mean to you?
1: I suppose, um, for me, my dad had played three games for Parramatta in first grade and I think at the end of the first year the only thing I wanted at the end of the year I didn't realise you got paid but the most important thing I wanted was um, a, um, a Parramatta jersey and in that year we were fortunate enough to win the first reserve grade grand final for the club as well. So um, just going
0: on with this uh, 1976 you played a lot more first grade and you were on the bench for the grand final firstly talk to me about that crazy thursday night street parade in grand final week do you remember much of that
1: <laughs> yeah I, like I, said, I i was 20 and, and probably for all of us um we played for the people all your people here we played for the district and i think that was the thing that bound us together um you know so closely and you know' going up and down the street um, on the backs of trucks and it was yeah you know, it was a wonderful experience because we wanted to do it for the district did it, co- did it le- did it leave you
0: in the right frame of mind for the grand final or did you think it would have been best to leave it for after the grand final
1: um, look the, the bottom line is um, the result, we, we didn't come away with what we wanted to. Um, but the, the most important thing was that you know, we, we were really the, the start of the, the evolution of Parramatta into a major force in the 80s. And you know, people like Terry Fernley and Norm Proven and, and that were the, the predecessors of um, what was to come.
2: One of the rugby leagueisms you hear bandied about these days is that you've got to lose a grand final to win a grand final. Did the coach and the team look upon that grand final result as a learning experience did you take positives out of it
1: um i don't think anyone takes positive out of losing um, but it probably made us even more determined to fix our mistakes and next time we were there we, we'd make a difference and make sure we didn't make the same mistakes
0: so yes moving forward that 12 months in 1977 you really consolidated your place in first grade and you started on the wing in the grand final was that was also the year of the replayed grand final what was it like to play out there because i thought that replay was one of the most brutal games of football that i've ever seen and still to this day
1: I, th- I think St George in those days were, um, you know, uh, you know Harry was um, their coach. and They probably play- played a different type of football that, that we had under Terry. Uh, Terry was a lot milder and, and meek person. And, you know, when we had the, the, the draw in the grand final, we all stopped and looked, what do we do now? And then a week later... Um, yeah, it probably was one one of the most brutal games of football I'd, I'd ever played in.
0: I, I think it was amazing nobody was sent off, and I'm talking about one team in particular, from one team in particular, and maybe one player in particular was lucky to stay on the field that day. Um, how did the team respond to consecutive grand final losses?
1: Oh, look, we, we won't um, mention Rod Reddy's name, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, look, look, for us, the, the, um, I think the worst thing w- was coming back and seeing the faces on the um, supporters that had gone right through. And, you know, I, I think it just... You know, we felt that we, we'd, we'd let people down. And it's a, for, for us, um, yeah, it was very heartbreaking for us as well.
2: Do you think that tough journey across the 76 and 77 seasons... Steal the club for what was to come early in the 80s, or had the personal change the personnel of the players changed too much for that to be a factor?
1: Um, yeah, we, we did have some changes in personnel. Um, you know, we we you know we had already had Ray there. I don't think um, a few of the others had arrived yet, but it was a, an evolution. And in the 80s, Johnny P took over as coach and. For the first year I'd been there, we had made the, the um, semis. And I think probably Jack arriving was probably what we needed because he gave, gave us back our confidence in ourselves. I often wonder
0: whether it was a sliding door moment for the club to lose in 76 and 77, because I think it's arguable that if we had a one in those years... We may not have ended up with Jack Gibson as a coach in the 80s, and maybe that 80s period wouldn't have been quite as successful. Do you think that's a valid point, or?
1: Um, yeah, like I think in those years or that era, um, everyone wanted to play for Parramatta. Penrith weren't a, um, a force as what like what they are now, um, and I think it was. Um, an opportunity for a lot of our, us younger fellows to come through with the um, junior rep development and the, the development squad. And it really was a catalyst that started um, you know, in the 78, 79, the catalyst that started the um, you know, the, the, the era of the, the 80s which um, Parramatta dominated. Was 81 a different feel? I remember um, walking um you know in the grand final when um at at half time i think we were down and um jack just walked in at half time just looked around at everyone and just said you'll win this and walked out and that was it and so we had the confidence in jack and that's why um we got on a bit of a a a bit of a roll. in
0: so basically that was the perfect thing to say at that at that moment
1: yeah, we, um, we had confidence in the person next to us, uh, we had confidence in Jack and you know, at the end there he, was, he didn't use many words, didn't say much but you just knew that yeah, he knew what he was doing.
2: So we were here in the semi-final or grand final qualifier win last year, it was a pretty special place. I can't imagine what it would have been here like after 81. Can you walk us through what the scenes were like at the Leeds Club in Parramatta in general?
1: Well, we, we caught a bus back um, and it pulled up out the front and the bus was... There were people on the streets was, uh, and suddenly the bus pulled up and then people went crazy. Inside, there were people in the elevators holding the door open button because there wasn't room inside the club. Um, And the best thing was, it was just such a wonderful feeling to to see the faces on the people, uh, faces of relief and and smiling. And so I don't know what time the club finished, but I'd left well and truly before then.
0: Well, Graham, I was one of those smiling faces that night. I was 20 years old here in the club. i just finished working here for a couple of years at that time. what I, I don't remember too much of the night, but what I do remember is I never paid for a drink all night. There was always someone who had a full jug of beer willing to fill up an empty glass. So I would imagine the players certainly enjoyed s- some liquid refreshments
1: after the game. Um, yeah, a lot of the others did. I treat my body as a temple. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it was a... You know, it was for us, it was the... Um, really the, the experience of seeing so many happy faces and that's what we'd always tried to do is to please the people that came to the games and, and wore the blue and gold.
0: Now, Graeme, you left the club for a couple of years but you came back for the last two years of your career at Parramatta. Last three years, was it? Last three years. And you played 44 games across those last three years but the interesting thing I want to talk to you about over that time is you became a bit of a golden boots yourself you were kicking goals
1: yeah um, Crow got a um, bit of a poke in the eye and um, yeah so he was out for a while and I just said to, um, to Coach Moni, I said, "Look, I've kicked now and again and I suppose you know, someone had to do it and I think I ended up um, the top point scorer for the club, only through goals in 86. Yeah. Yeah, so we're going to
0: now, this is a tough part for us because we're going to talk about tonight's game. Um, not the best way for us to start the season now. We're 0-2. and two. Uh, How did you see
1: overall tonight's game? Just the, your main take to start off with. Um, look, I, I, I think it was, um, it was unfortunate. The game I found um, was just full of mistakes on both sides. Uh, nil all would have been a good result. But I really think that, um, yeah, just... It, it, from watching it from the sideline, it was just mistake-ridden on both sides, and it's a really shame.
2: Yeah, if I had to categorise the game, Graeme, Cronulla were obviously a class outfit. They were a top four finisher last year. But from Parramatta's side, missed tackles and missed opportunities really were the hallmarks of a close game where they could have gone ahead and won the game by maybe a trial two.
1: Yeah, look, I, I think, um, you know, if like I, I've coached one year and I wasn't very good at that. But I, I think, um, you know, one of the things I take from my era is that the best play I've ever played with Brett Kenny because he had no idea what he was going to do. <laughs> um, and he, he was up front with it. Tonight, you know, like, to get to the fifth tackle and kick the ball in the air and hope someone drops it, I, I just, I, I found it. I may have been watching AFL. Yeah, it, I don't think it was a high standard game because we
0: were talking during the game and said really with the mistakes that Cronulla made as well, that Parramatta shouldn't have been in the situation they were that they were in if they had have played their best football, which they didn't tonight. I do want to talk again about a couple of positives. First of all, Jermaine Hopgood. It seemed like a lot of uh, what the Eels were able to do in attack sparked from offloads that he was able to generate. Unstructured play. I mean, that's the sort of football that... You would have grown up playing that unstructured stuff where you don't know what's going to happen, but you make you move the ball, you make it work. How do you see Jermaine Hopgood's game coming along?
1: Oh, look, it's the first time I'd, I've really watched him play, and once again, um, I probably don't follow as closely as I have. Um, I think it's... You know, like, the, the, the potential's there, but I think they just have to take more chances and trust their own ability... Um, to go and just enjoy the way they play. And I think probably a few of them um, are, are quite predictable, which makes it tough to um, to win and also touch to, tough to watch. The other positive that I wanted to mention as well, which would have pleased you as a winger,
0: was Mike Acevo's second try, the depth that he ran on from to take that pass. The pass was drifted across and rather than sitting flat, he hit the ball at top speed and that had a lot to do with him being able to get through the last defenders, get over the line. That must have pleased you as an old winger.
1: Oh, yeah, look, I'm, I probably I imagine um, yeah, Sebo is one of the best wingers that I've seen for ages. And I'm not sure whether he's based his game on me or Eric. Um, <laughs> or, but it is wonderful to see him just going in enjoying it. And each time he gets a ball, you know that he is going to do something special.
2: And I think that you're the perfect person to ask this as an expertise in the position. But defensively, when you saw Quinton Gufferson come to the line and throw that pass that was intercepted by, I believe, Ronaldo Mulatalo, what were you thinking about how that play sort of broke down? And as a winger, would you have attacked it the same way that Mulatalo did?
1: Um, Look, it's very hard to make decisions in a split second. So... I just probably um, in looking at the game I probably wouldn't have done or wouldn't have been in the places some of they were, they were but once again they're a lot better athletes than I am, it's a different game and so I just you know take anyone that wears a blue and gold, I respect.
0: Uh, defensively, we had a few issues on the edge of the ruck uh, there was some uh, space between Dylan Brown and Wonga Blake. Uh, I don't know whether it was a case of the fullback wasn't in his position to push them across, but it just seemed there was a lot of space out there where we didn't adjust at all, and it was just inviting the Sharks to score. How did you see those moments?
1: You know, one of the things um, that Jack always um, you know, hammered into us is that you've got to be talking to the person inside you and let them know what you're going to do and they can let you know. I don't know whether there was a lot of talk between the outside backs um, and that's that's pretty disappointing because sitting up in a stand, you, you could see where where the gaps were going to come.
2: Down... down. Sorry. Uh, down 10 points with just over 14 minutes to go. It was good to see the boys dig deep and fight back. We saw Jermaine Hopgood and Mitchell Moses combining for that specula- oh, spectacular try sorry, from halfway before we end up just falling short of that left edge shift where Wanga holds the ball up probably just a second too long with Michael Aceva to his left. In that situation when it's sort of game on the line, one play to win it all, do you look to get the ball into the hands of a player like Mike Aceva or do you back someone like Wanga to go himself?
1: Um, look, i would probably looking at the two. I think probably I see that was a more dangerous player. But I suppose that the bottom line is it, it shouldn't... To me, it should never have got to that situation where they were desperate to win at the end of the game. Um, I think they were good enough to win early on, but they seem... I was talking to, um, to Bob and I said when they were ahead by 10 points, I said... It's the worst thing to happen. Either they've got to get ahead by 20 or 30 because if they, the minute they take it easy, um, any team will come back.
0: Now, when we're normally doing our uh, post-match analysis, one of the things that we look closely at is stats. So we'd be looking at things like the run metres, the tackles, the missed tackles, uh, offloads, that sort of thing. Uh, and looking at tonight's game, There were some big numbers in the running metres. Uh, Mike Acebo, 188 running metres. Regan Campbell-Gillard, 180 running metres. Junior Paulo, 160. Jermaine Hopgood, 168. When you were playing, was there anything in the way of stats that was
1: presented to you and what sort of stats were they? Probably um, the one that Jack uh, focused on with well, the number of tackles you did um, and the number of tackles you missed. And he used to do that at the start of the um, at our meeting. And then you figured out whether or not you'd be playing first grade the week later.
0: <laughs> so there were some infamous meetings in the old bus at uh, Granville Park?
1: Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, I've made quite often made a... Um, uh, unceremonious exit from the, the back door <laughs> when <laughs> I've been dropped. <laughs> well, uh, we did. We were told a story as well about uh, I think it was Ronnie
0: Hilditch with a particularly bad game that he made, and uh, I think Jack skipped him when he was running through everyone's details. And um, uh, well, what did it end up that he was? Um, he was just told, "Oh, were well, you going to be meeting with uh, the, the reserve grade coach?" Yeah, Coach Mooney. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. reflect,
2: reflecting on your time back in playing, Brains, looking at what's happened now with the Parramatta were we're 0-2 after two rounds, obviously not ideal, but far from season over. When your teams found themselves in a little bit of a, a rut or something of a hole, what becomes the focus of training to get right mentally, to get right on the field?
1: Look, I, I think the, the key thing is, you know, I was fortunate to be... Um, part of a really, really closely knit group of um, mates. And, you know, we were all together two weeks ago. And, and that's the thing. And because, you know, you, you, there's no blame. But what you did, you rema- you, you, um, you had confidence in your mate. If you missed a tackle, you'd turn around and still low or price, you'd be doing it. I think it's important now for him to sit back, go over the game... And see, well, look, we could have done this better. And then for next week, forget about the score. Next week's a new game. And just go out and make sure you don't make the same mistakes you made last week. Well, I think
0: when we looked at last week's game, it was a it was a game that shouldn't have been lost. We move forward to this week. We were thinking if our halves lift a bit this week, that a win would be on the cards because Mitch Moses was average last week Dylan Brown probably had the worst game that I've seen him play for the club last week I thought both of them lifted this week uh, thought Mitch Moses played quite well, Dylan was was quite solid in his performance big running metres but something's gone wrong elsewhere in the team because they lifted but the performance didn't come from the team um, you said they, they, they go away they've, they've They've got to find something positive to go forward from. What would you see as the positive out of a game like this tonight where the standard itself wasn't great?
1: I think um, one of the things that Jack said, he said, don't read the papers. Um, If you look at all the pundits, they um, would have chosen um, Parramatta to win quite easily. And the way I looked at it is I thought tonight that they went out and just thought, yeah, we're going to win. Um, and, and, and that was it. Um, and it was really disappointing because they weren't anywhere near the team they were last week. The mistakes, they made heaps of them. And, look, I, I think it's what um, we've got to do is take each, each uh, game week to week, respect the players they're playing against, Don't look at the um, newspapers. Just go out and play your normal game, your natural game. Do you think those two really quick
0: tries to start the game might have worked against us in terms of the the mental
1: attitude? I was sitting um, next to um, a mate up in a stand and when they scored those two tries, I said, they've got to either score three or four or otherwise um, they're going to come back at them. And they did, and I think Parramatta were shocked, um, and which was really disappointing because, you know, once you, you know Jack would say, once you, you score two tries, you've got to score three or you've got to score four. Yeah, and I think
0: that's, I think that's really valid. The, the other period that was a little bit disappointing was at the beginning of the second half, the Eels were all over them. We, we picked up one try, but I think it's fair to say with the territory, the possession, the flow of the game that maybe two or three tries was something that would have been the return that they should have
1: been able to get. Yeah, I look I, I agree, um, I think it's you know, the bottom line is though they are so finely tuned, the athletes nowadays that they can do anything and they've got to take a few chances if it doesn't come off so what? If it does come off they're spectacular and I think rather than just being a I, you know, hit the ball up and put it in the air and hope that they drop it, you've got to take chances. Do things differently. Do chip kicks. Do grubbers. Um, yeah.
2: So there's plenty of work to do with the Parramatta Iles when it comes to polishing their defence and capitalising on their opportunities to attack because next week there's a big derby game travelling over to Brookvale to take on the Manly Seagulls. You'd, show, you'd have some memories taking on the Seagulls during the 80s, wouldn't you, mate?
1: Yeah, it was probably the... Um, yeah, our traditional um, you know, the silver tails versus the fibros, um, And once again, it's always a big match. And, and I really hope, you know, I think Brad's smart enough to know that it is part of the culture that the great rivalry is between Parramatta and Manly. And it'd be wonderful to, to for the, the players now to look back at that tradition as been. Uh, that, that started, and, you know, to work on that rivalry and, and for them to be able to still maintain that, um, oh, not dislike, I'll use, um, <laughs> over, the, um, over the, the trip over to the Northern Beaches.
0: How was it for you back in the day travelling over to Brookvale for the matches? Did you enjoy Brookvale as a venue?
1: Um, it, was a long, it was the longest drive for me and it was the longest drive to get back, and it's terrible having an you know, hour and a half drive home when you've lost, um, but you always knew that when you played um, against Manly, you'd be playing against some of the best footballers Australia's ever produced in the Fultons and, and the Randalls and all that, but it was always it was always a tough game, and you couldn't go over there and take it easy.
0: But one thing that must have stood out for you when you're out on the field was the number of Eels supporters that would make the trip to Brookvale Oval. Uh, Back in those, in the the mid-70s to late 70s, I, I wasn't old enough to drive then and I used to travel by supporter bus to the away games and there was a game at Brookvale one week and there was something like 20 odd buses carrying supporters to the... Ga- it was like a fleet of buses that was there and the hill was nearly all Eels supporters and there was the... The parrot chant was going around out on the hill. It, it must have almost felt like home games at some of the away games because you get full grounds at some of the away grounds by the time that the under-23s um, under, under 23s or third grade was starting back then.
1: Yeah, I think um, one of the... the like you said, I had a couple of years at East... Um, but I, I think probably the, the best supporters of any of the club are the Parham, the ill supporters. And it doesn't matter where they are, whether we lose, they still turn up week after week. And I think um, tonight they're the ones I feel most disappointed for. And I think that's a fair call as well for
0: ill uh, supporters to be naturally disappointed after tonight because. That's been two. We've started the season with two home games. Uh, Obviously, it hasn't been ideal with the times that these games have been played at because a lot of supporters haven't been able to make it to the kickoff times, but you'd expect four points at the very worst two points where zero... Uh, The points differential is only eight, but it doesn't matter whether you've lost a game by... 20 or you've lost the game by one you're not getting any
1: any competition points and, and we probably need it, it now. It
2: means you've got to make up the difference on the road now which is always a huge challenge in the NRL.
1: Yeah but once again I, I still believe that Parramatta proved it last year. No one expected them to make the grand final. They got there and they just fell short and the, the, the best thing is like I said once you once you pull a blue and gold jersey on um, it, it, your pride picks up your ability picks up, and your confidence picks up. So hopefully next week um, you will see a different team playing. Well, I think that's probably a great place to end the podcast on about
0: what it means to pull on the blue and gold jersey, what it's going to mean for these players moving forward. Ladies and gentlemen, can you thank uh, Graham Atkins tonight?
1: Thanks,
2: mate. Thanks, mate.